So Rick, do you want to come up? So let's, let's just give Rick a fantastic welcome. All right. Well, you're very welcome here, and we're just really looking forward to you speaking to us and sharing with us today. That's, it's great. Thank you. So Rick is from International Community Church, and we're really happy to have you here. Just feel free amongst us to preach the word. All right. Thank do you, you very want that? Do you want to hold it? Or um, there? I'll hold it, because I, yeah, I, I move around a little bit. Keep it, keep it a bit okay. Yes, sir. There we go. There we go. Wow, how great to be with Beacon Church this morning. I've been in this, in this room, in this building more times than I can count, but it's the first time that, that I've been able to join you for a Sunday morning worship. And isn't it, isn't it just something so beautiful, but also an evidence for God, that no matter where you go in this green earth, you connect with people who love Jesus, even if you don't know a word of their language, and you step into that place. And even if you've never heard the song, I mean, there's a sound of worship. And then the presence of God that comes. It's so beautiful. Beacon Church, you, you, you guys live up to your name. I hope you know that. I, 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 over the, my, my family's, well, you can probably tell, I'm not born and raised in Chertsey, can't, can't you? <laughs> I've been working on my accent for eight years, and this is the best I've got. So pardon my colonial twang. Uh, for eight years, we go around and we hear about you from neighbors and all you do in the community, and you know, not just the food bank, but, but wonderfully that, and we've had neighbors who, who volunteered. It, it brings to mind for me Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul begins this letter to the church in Rome. Sure, why not? Why not? Come around. I'll move that. I'll move. There we go. Sorry. It's all right. Thank you, thank you. I'll tell you, my, my eyes are getting... I'm 50 this year, and my eyes are getting a little bad. I'm getting a little emotional here, but uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 8 says, First, Paul writes to this church. He's never been to their, their church. He writes this letter, and he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the whole world. And so I just want to, as a, as a part of another church, as a part of the broader body of Christ in this community, I just want to thank you for, for all that you're doing to make Jesus look great, to shine your light, and to love other people in his name. So that's, I commend you, that you, 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 you wow us. Um, Jenny has been to, to our church. We used to worship um, in, in Chertsey Hall in the mornings and, and then over down near Cobham in the evening. The COVID changed so much for us, right? We've been in Byfleet Methodist Church since uh, Easter of, of 2021. Uh, and actually, we've uh, been stuck in at 5 p.m. there, which is a tricky slot. But starting tomorrow, or sorry, next Sunday, we're moving. We're going to be at uh, St. Mary's Community Center across the street from Byfleet Methodist uh, at 10 o'clock. Uh, Pat, Paul, great to see you guys. Love them. Uh, 
And so I'm one of the pastors at, 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 uh, in the South Running Mead churches. Uh, uh, your pastor, Nathan, is there. And I, I remember uh, Andrew Ryland before that. And we're kind of doing a pulpit swap. So it's good to, to be with you. Um, I'm one of the pastors at the International Community Church, people from all over the world. It's a wonderful community. Uh, my wife is from Brazil. I'm from the U.S., you can tell. Uh, we've been here for eight years. And we're actually, the time has come. And we're moving back to, to New York uh, at the end of this month. So I am so happy to be able to see you and to thank you for the blessing that you've been to our community and to our church. I want to talk to you a little bit today about about, uh, the kingdom of God and about worry and about trust. We've been doing a a series going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is just such a a crucial thing for every follower of Christ to, to understand, to read, to digest, to live. And, you know, years ago, I used to think of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount as, as kind of the new law that Jesus gives for the kingdom, because uh, it is all about the kingdom, isn't it? And, and in fact, John the Baptist comes, and what, how does he start preaching? He, he repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus comes and starts preaching, and what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's all about the kingdom. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus is doing these miracles, and I just got to say, I'm from Portland, Oregon, which is, has a, a, an NBA basketball uh, team called the Portland Trailblazers, and the Lakers are our arch nemesis. <laughs> what's, what's your name, brother? Norbert. Norbert. So Norbert, thank God Jesus commands us to forgive 70 times 7. So as long as I don't see you more than 490 times, we're, we're going to be good. <laughs> Front and center with the Lakers, help us, Lord. <laughs> Someone's in the spirit. So it's all about the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, right? And, and, and what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is the domain of the king. It, it, it's the place where God's will is done, which is why that's the theme in the Lord's Prayer, right? We want the kingdom of God to come. We pray for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done. But the very first place that it needs to be done is right in here. Because the greatest danger to the kingdom of God in my life is not the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of darkness, it's the kingdom of Rick. Because the kingdom of Satan is too obvious, that's that's not deceiving me, but the kingdom of Rick really deceives me. So so I I used to think of it as, as here comes Jesus to give the new laws of the kingdom and Matthew kind of, for all these reasons, make Jesus kind of the new Moses and here he is on the mountain giving the new law. But but I realize how wrongheaded that is because the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus coming to give a law, something that we must do or else. And it's not even ethics, Jesus coming to teach about what we ought to do, what we should do. I've really come to, to, to believe that, that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus coming to talk about the culture of the kingdom. It's the things that we naturally find ourselves doing. It's not law, you must do it. It's not ethics, you ought to do it. It would be better if you did it. It's culture in the kingdom. This is the way we naturally find ourselves living effortlessly. It's like in, in Romans 7 and 8 when Paul talks about not being slaves to sin. What's slave to sin? You're not even trying to do it. Whoops, there I went and I did sin again. I wasn't even trying. I didn't even plan it. No, we're slaves to righteousness. Whoop, I went and did righteousness again and I wasn't even trying. It, it's, it was the, you know, the reflex of action. So I, I was raised in Portland, Oregon. Go Blazers. 
and uh, spent a few years living in Japan. And then I, I moved to uh, um, join the staff at a, a friend's church in, in central New York State, so about four and a half hours from New York City. And it was a, it was a bigger church, about six, seven hundred people, and I hadn't met everybody yet. And I lived in one little town, then I kind of moved into the, the bigger city, and, and it was renting from a guy in the church. And it was a, there's a lot of houses there that it's like a, it's a, it's like a, Semi-detached house, but it's one flat up and one flat, one flat up and one down, and I was up, and Monday morning was my, my one day to sleep in. I love to sleep in, and then I get one chance a week. Monday's my day off. 5.55 Monday morning, bam, bam, sounds like the roof is coming down on my head, this slate stone roof, you know? So I jumped out of bed, just freaked out, and I noticed there's outside my window, there's a ladder up against the roof. So Tony, my landlord, hadn't told me, and the roofing crew hadn't told me, but they were there at 5.55 on Monday morning to start ripping off the slate roof. Lovely. <laughs> Can I tell you the anger that just rose up inside of me? And uh, this is a safe place, right, Jenny? Is a safe, safe place? I don't have a swearing problem per se, but I've worked in certain environments, and it's all up in here. <laughs> Can I tell you, the, the, I was so ticked off. These people, you know, they violated my rights. I marched down there, and there's, you know, a couple guys on the roof. There's six or eight guys on this truck, and I just, it was like trying to hold back the wild horses. It just, it was right there. I knew exactly what I wanted to say, and it would have put them in their place. And, and I'm, you know, you know how, how, how we justify things in that moment, right? I, my, my, I'm telling myself, they don't, they don't know you're a believer. They don't know anything about you. And, and I'm on the knife edge. And all of a sudden, I felt the voice of the Holy Spirit as clearly and as strongly as I've ever heard it. And it was one of the hardest rebukes I ever got from him. And he said... It's not what they know. It's who you are. What are you doing out here? Get back in your house. <laughs> like a dog with a tail between its legs. Of course, I found out later that the guy who ran that roofing crew was a member of the church that I hadn't yet met. Who'd been telling all the people, hey, the roof we're doing today, it's uh, one of the pastors of, our, of my church lives there. And he's been telling them all about Jesus and pastor of my church. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Thank God for that rebuke. One of those guys did end up getting saved and joined the, came to the membership class of the church, which I taught. And we had a good little chuckle about that. All right, so. It's not kingdom law. It's not what we ought to do. It's not ethics. It's the culture. It's the way that we should naturally find ourselves living when we're imbibing Jesus, when we're connecting to Jesus day by day. So he starts out the Sermon on the Mount. And we got to be careful because we have this human tendency to look for easy rules, right? But it's not about the external. Jesus is looking for something deeper, the heart. He begins with the Beatitudes, and it's not even just be like this, because the blessing is not in the condition, the blessing is in the kingdom, but Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God is available even to these people, and things on that list, like being a peacemaker. Hey, you were fighting between the Romans and the Jews and the Zealots, and the peacemakers weren't popular. 
It was an invitation. And then salt and light, we need to extend the invitation to more people. And then the rest of chapter 5, it's not about obeying the external rules. It's deeper than that. But these are the way that, this is the way that we live towards other people when we live in the kingdom. And then in chapter 6, he moves into, into security. First, he talks about spiritual security. Okay, yeah, don't do those bad things. Okay, not even murder, but don't even hate people. But now, why do you do the good things you do? And he picks three classic forms of Jewish piety, you know, of giving and uh, prayer and fasting. And he says, okay, those are good things to do, but why are you doing them? If you're doing them just to impress the people, well, done. you're done. You've, you've got your goodness, and there's no reward in the kingdom for that. Because we do all these things that Jesus calls us to do, we, we, we do them for an audience of one. What's our motive? It's always deeper. But then in, in the rest of chapter 6, he, he talks to us about material security and about the false security of wealth. And he really, you know, Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is not abstract ethereal stuff. I mean, he goes right to the dirty nitty-gritty of the worst that human life has to offer. Hate, contempt, lust, greed, fear. And he addresses worry because, let's face it, worry is part of life. Worry is not irrational. Worry is a natural response to threatening conditions. There is worry in the world today. There is worry in our country today. It's funny, you know, eight years ago, there was a study here in the UK that showed eight years ago that long-term worry and anxiety were on the rise. And it was affecting people's health and sleep and blood pressure and diabetes and hair loss and cancer. Can, uh, uh, one of the roots of all of those things is worry. And that was eight years ago. Before Brexit and all of that kerfuffle, before uh, 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 the pandemic, before a war on the continent, before uh, a new prime minister every other week. So here's a question. If disaster struck, if you lost everything that you owned, what would you still be glad that you had? How would your heart be? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. You can turn there in your Bibles or it's on the screen here. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The blessing is not... See, this this world that God made is good. It's wonderful. It's broken. It's broken beauty. But we we don't dismiss all the wonderful things God has for us here. But where is my heart ultimately? Is my heart ultimately in the kingdom, in eternity? Which, by the way, does not happen after you die, because we're in the kingdom of heaven now, right? Your eternal life has already begun. Anyway, the eye is the lamp of the body. How? Because that's what helps you see. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Ain't that the truth? 
You probably don't say ain't, do you? <laughs> you cannot serve both God and money. Is money bad? No. Money is not the root of all evil. The Lakers are the, I mean, <laughs> the love of money. No offense, Norbert, no offense. <laughs> the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> so what do, we, what, do we, what do we see? If all I think about is the here and now, the physical, the tangible, this temporal life, money is going to grow in importance for me. It's like, it's like, have you ever been on your way to someone, on your way to somewhere, and you're, you're running a little bit late, and then there's, there's a, you know, there's a, a big lorry in front of you going too slow, and then it turns off, and, but before you have the right of way, then a learner turns in front of you, and they're going really slowly, right? One thing after another, and, and you just, you feel the anxiety and the, the agita coming up. But if you stop and, and think about the scope of the 70 or 80 or 90 or 40 or 30 years of your life, all of a sudden, you stop being so concerned, right? But if you're thinking about, right now, and i got to get there in seven minutes, right now, it's going to have an outsized impact on you. What I'm only thinking about here and now and this temporal fleshly life, money will have an outsized importance for me. And so Jesus, and all through the scripture really, God is trying to get a hold of our attention and our focus and change it. Paul opens up his letter to the church in Ephesus and says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart will be opened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 2 Corinthians 4.18, again, Paul. So we fix our eyes, right? And this is, this is we sang about suffering. This is after a, a development of suffering. We are pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Because in this earthen vessel, we have a treasure, right? So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, it's fading, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But what is unseen is eternal. What's got my focus? What's got my attention? It doesn't mean I deny reality. Some people's idea of faith is, oh no, don't say, you, don't say I have cancer, I'm, I'm battling against cancer, don't say I have it. Okay, well, okay, maybe. But look, faith is not saying that something that is real doesn't, is not real. In, in, in Romans 4, right, Paul's talking about, about Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And he says, Abraham knew that his body was as good as dead. And his wife's as well. But yet in faith believed God. He understood and recognized the reality of the physical situation. But he also believed and understood that there was a greater reality behind that reality. What reality do we focus on? And then... Paul, to the Colossian church, all of Paul's letters, they've got this, they've got like two halves. There's like doctrine, 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 and then a hinge, a turn, and a therefore, in light of all of that beautiful truth, this is how we ought to live. 11 chapters of Romans about salvation, and then chapter 12, therefore, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, right? So two chapters in Colossians, all this doctrine, doctrine, truth, 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 and then the hinge, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, what does your mind go over and over and over and over and over? 
remember on a long road trip with my family when I was a kid, back when cruise control had recently come out. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were on this, we were in, in middle America where the roads are like, they're like this. They're like a, a perspective painting. They disappear at a point in the future. Straight road. And some heavy lorry had, had on a hot day, maybe d- worn ruts into the road. And my dad realized that he could fit the front tires of the car right in those ruts and take his hand off the wheel. I got cruise. I got my wheels in the ruts. Autopilot. And that's, I don't know about you, but that's what I do with my brain if I'm not careful, because I'm a ruminator, and I think, and I think, and I think, and I think, and I wear ruts in the road of my mind, and without a deliberate turning of the wheel of the, of the course of my thought process, that's the low point that I'll go to. We have to direct our thinking. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Congratulations. You're dead. Don't find yourself trapped in a bad zombie movie where the old man, the old woman tries to keep getting up out of the grave. You're dead. You have a new life, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So where's your treasure? Where's my treasure? What's treasure? The things we value, cherish, protect against loss. So either I've got a choice. What's, what's my perspective as a, as a follower of Christ on money? Either money is my master and God is my tool to get more money, or God is my master and money is a tool to serve his kingdom. It's one or the other. Money's awesome. Money can do a lot of things. Can't do everything. But do I think of it as... And, and this is a, a, an infection, an infected, diseased form of the gospel that has really affected a lot of churches in my country. We follow Jesus because he'll make us rich. What a, what a misguided way of thinking. He carries on. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Oh, man, there's a lot to worry about today. Politics, war, economy, loss of health. Will the pandemic come back? Cost of living crisis, environment. So much to worry about. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow sow or reap or store away in barns. And your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life, to her life? Can we all just try that right now? Let's like worry really hard and see if we feel ourselves growing younger. Should we do it? Ridiculous, isn't it? And why do you worry about clothes? <laughs> why do we worry about clothes? <laughs> Sorry, I can't. <laughs> See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the the people who worship idols and run after all that, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What's his righteousness? Well, it's not the righteousness that tells me to do the right things because people are watching or do the right things so I don't get punished. It's the righteousness that effortlessly comes out of me when I'm like the tree planted by rivers of water that's put down my roots. As I think about God, as I read God's word, as I worship God, I put down my roots into that water of Jesus. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And that righteousness is the natural fruit that effortlessly, reflexively comes out. That's the righteousness. And what's his kingdom? Yeah, I live my life. But I'm thinking about the kingdom of God. Do you realize right now today, millions upon millions of people sit in rooms just like this and different than this all over the world or outside under a tree thinking about Jesus? Because 2,000 years ago, 120 people were up in a room praying. And now all over the world, people of almost every culture It's easy to get discouraged sometimes when we feel like, oh, man, look at the way our culture's going. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and they plot against the Lord and against his his anointed? And what's God's response? He who sits in the heavens laughs. God is not concerned. And we don't have to be either. Because Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk says that the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. I might live in a place and in a time where I don't see righteousness everywhere. But have you ever been to the sea? How much of the sea do the waters cover? Pretty much most of it. Little island here, little rock sticking out there. But the right waters cover the sea and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill this earth. God's not going to lose. Don't worry. So, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. You know, worry, worry, look, is the opposite of the Sabbath principle. I find my rest in God. He wants me to rest in Him and not worry. So, in Philippians, this pretty well-known passage you might know, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's so beautiful, that promise, isn't it? Now, as wonderful as as that is, there's a sentence that comes right before it that I think is so key. In verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that's why we cannot worry. When I was a kid, I, was a paper, I, I had a paper route when I was 10. You know, little kid, little bike, canvas bags hanging from my handlebars, fill them up with papers, and I'm, I, I'm on my paper route, and there was a dog on my paper route. It was a dog that, that looked a little something like, like this dog. There we go. He was, he was not a little dog. He was not a peaceful dog. He was not a peacemaker. <laughs> but... To be fair, his owners kept him fenced up in the back garden behind a little tiny picket fence. (laughs) Miraculously, he jumped it whenever he wanted. Sometimes he would be out in front on on the front porch, and there was a chain there, a long chain, and sometimes he would be tied to the chain, sometimes not. 
But even if he was, if he was out and I came around the corner, my little bike all tentative and afraid, ah, is the dog going to be there? Ah, he's there, Josh, I turn and pedal as fast as I can. And here's the dog. And some, you ever seen a, a running dog get to the end of the chain? <laughs> but sometimes he wasn't on the chain. And one time, he got me. So I used to plead with, I had an afternoon paper route, except for Saturdays, it was the morning delivery, and I would plead with my dad, Dad, please turn off the blazer game, and, no, and please come with me on my paper route. <laughs> dad, there's this dog, and I didn't know if he'd believe me. So one, one Saturday, he came. My dad came with me. And you know what? The worry was gone, because <laughs> dad's there. And so we're, we're pedaling down the street towards that house, and I'm hoping, God, please let this be one of the days that the dog is out, because he, you know, he won't believe me. God answered my prayer. <laughs> so we're coming up, and I'm, I'm a couple bike lengths behind my dad's bike, and here he is on his 10-speed. I'm on my little bike, and all of a sudden, sure enough, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And in a moment that will live in eternity in my mind, my dad, in mid-crank, pushed off the left pedal, leapt right over the bike as it careened off into the street, and with his arms raised, getting as big as he could, ran straight towards that big dog. Ha! And that big, dumb dog literally flipped over, tail between his legs. Arr, 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 arr. It was the greatest moment of my life. If only my dad could come with me every day. But the application is obvious. He is with us every day. And I could be tempted to say, okay, God, I've got an agenda today. I need you to come with me. But obviously, that's the kingdom of Rick. Of course, what I need to do is say, Lord, what is your agenda today? What is your agenda for me today? I'm with you, Lord. I'm right behind you. Let's go do it. Seek first the kingdom. I align my life and my priorities with his will. I partner with him in what he's doing. And then my worry is gone. I'm not concerned. So, we've got something precious here. This kingdom, this message of the kingdom. Later on in Matthew, Matthew 13, he tells all these stories to illustrate these truths about the kingdom. It's like a mustard seed it grows into the biggest tree in the garden and it draws life to it. The birds, things come to eat and come to nest in its branches. There's this, there's this pulling force of the kingdom of God. It pulls people to it. There is safety, there is food, there is healing, there's refuge. He tells us a story about, about the kingdom of God is like yeast into a, 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 a lump of dough and it permeates, it spreads. There's a going aspect of the kingdom. We go into our neighborhoods and into our communities, into the lives of our friends. And the kingdom of God is like a pearl. It's this precious thing that I would sell everything that I have to get. How precious is the kingdom? How precious is the kingdom to me, to you? So yes, there are things in life that responsible people have to do. Take care of your family. Mow your grass. 
Save for the future. Be the salt and light. Be kind to your neighbors. Pay the bills. Do your homework. Go to work. There's these practical things that we must do. They're godly things. But also, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? How am I living day by day in the kingdom of God? What is his will? And how can I partner with him? Would you, can we stand together? Can I just ask the worship team to come in? And, and can I pray for you? Do you know, most broadly, I, I just, the kingdom of God is the thing that we live for. I want to pray, but then specifically, Jesus here is, is speaking to worry. And you're a people of faith, but look, we all are human, and we all know the realities of this life, and we live in tumultuous times. I want to pray for you. There are people here, I know, and you're worried. And that's not irrational. There are things to worry about. And I don't say... There's not going to be any problem. Don't worry about it. I say there's a bigger reality. The Father's with you. And your eternal life has begun. And we fix our eyes not at what is seen, but at what is unseen. And I want to pray for you that, 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 that as we contemplate the kingdom, that a, 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 a depth of appreciation and love and excitement will fill you. And have an effect on the way we live this week. Jesus. Lord, we open up our hearts to you. Lord, we live in a, a broken world. These last few years, we've lived in a chaotic world. And Lord, I, I know there are so many things that we all have to worry about. And I, I think there are people here who are particularly worried about one or a few things. And it's been weighing on them. It's been gnawing at them. It's been chewing on their mind and their soul. Lord, would you come right now and let your presence be felt. God, we know you're always with us. Lord, let us feel you with us. Lord, come and be our peace. Lord, you are near we draw near to you. Lord, you've, been blessed, you've blessed us to redeem us, to make us, to lose us, to redeem us, to draw us close to you and to send us out. God, we want to be agents of your kingdom, to love, to serve, to speak the truth, to pray for the sick, to pray for people in impossible situations, to partner with you and watch you do the miraculous things that you do. Lord, use us this week for your kingdom. Lord, put things in our mind right now, people that you want us to see, things that you want us to say, actions that you want us to take care of, to build and to demonstrate your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.